CPAC 2020, the event of the year for conservatives. The Gail Trotter Show, right in D.C., was there interviewing all the right kind of people. And now, your host, Gail Trotter. Hi, Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C., bringing you interviews from CPAC 2020. I'm very excited to speak with this new person that I've met who spoke on a panel at CPAC 2020, Elizabeth Sabadich-Wolf. She is from Austria. She's also an author. And you shared with some of the CPAC attendees about how you were the daughter of diplomats and you were required to study about the Constitution as a child. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, I grew up in many different countries like Iran and Iraq and, uh, and also America. And uh, when I attended or while I was attending uh, grade school in Chicago for, in eighth grade, I was uh, forced to study the U.S. Constitution. And I was thinking at the time, why do I as, a, as an Austrian have to study the U.S. Constitution? What's the point? Should I be studying my own constitution? And of course I didn't get to choose and I'm so grateful that I did study the Constitution because I was able to get such a sense of the greatness of this document. I think it's the greatest political document ever written, uh, especially the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment. And uh, that basically, that knowledge paved the way for me to become a free speech activist, a defender of free speech. And ultimately, uh, later on, it got me in trouble because I thought I had the same rights in Austria that I have here in the United States, which is not true. The U.S. Constitution was used as a model for many of the Eastern European countries that were drafting new constitutions after the fall of the Soviet Union and their influence over those Eastern Bloc countries. And did you see that as well? Uh, I did not see that. I can only tell you that since the European Union was uh, started, when when you know. It is actually the European Union that's the troublemaker here. Uh, the, the constitutions, the national constitutions, they're not as important anymore. It's all superseded by a supranational blah blah constitution that even the European Union constitution is so difficult, so lengthy, so blah that even the drafters admitted they don't understand what the Constitution is about. Now we have a problem in all of Europe with, with uh, free speech uh, because it's, you, you have freedom of speech but there's no freedom after speech and that is a problem. Uh, you can say whatever you want but be prepared to be prosecuted because you will be prosecuted. Well it's interesting because we're talking about the European Union which was uh you know, taking away national sovereignty a bit. There was this exchange of national sovereignty in order to have the defense pact and I guess the economic benefits mm -hmm. of a larger group of countries Which that work to... The economic benefit is good. It's the political uh, trying to, to make equal something that is not equal. For instance, I have a colleague, a friend here, uh, who is the leader of the Flemish uh, Nationalist Party called Flamsbelang. And he said something that's very interesting. He said he comes from a country that since, I think, the mid-1830s has been divided. Two separate groups of peoples who are forced under one law, one country. It's called Belgium. And uh, this was the model, sort of the model for the European Union. Now you can't force 
25 different peoples, different languages, different uh, nationalities, and try to make them all the same. I'm not, I'm not using the word equal, uh, but the same. You can't do that. You can't have a United States of Europe. You have a completely different, uh, the United States of America has such a completely different uh, approach to nationhood than we do in Europe. And it's going to be a disaster in Europe. The European Union will at some point disintegrate. Uh, well, we're seeing this a bit with Brexit. Do you feel like that is making yes. an influence on people of other European nations to consider whether or not they want to continue with the arrangement as it's been previously? Um, well, actually, it's interesting because I've, I listened to some of the European uh, politicians who are here at CPAC, and they said, they don't even have to say uh, they they want the, uh, they want their own country to leave the European Union because they know it's going to happen anyway sooner. Wow! So you think that the, in speaking to these European yeah. leaders who are here, yeah. that they see this as inevitable that yeah. it's going to to not be the same. Well, you, as a politician, you're not going to uh, make any brownie points uh, by calling for a uh, a Brexit of sort of of other countries you're only going to lose in the polls. And they're smart about that. Uh, I found that fascinating. I've never thought about it that way. You do not have to call for the, leaving, for, for the exiting of your own country from the European Union because it's going to happen. I think that's a, that's a really great thought and I, I long for the day uh, when we're finally sovereign again, when we're finally able to decide our own fate uh, I'm not a big fan, as you can probably tell, uh, of supranationalism at all. That's why I kind of like Donald Trump. Uh, and I th Wait, you're a European who likes Donald Trump? I've heard all Europeans hate Donald Trump. Yes, I'm one of the probably uh, few. You can count them on probably two hands and maybe some toes. Or maybe they don't want to speak up because they don't want to be uh, outed as supporters of President Trump. Uh, I, I, that's a bit optimistic. I, the problem is uh, Europeans are indoctrinated by their own media. And the media are 100% against Trump. And I try to do as much as I can in educating people that Why I Why do you think to. the European media is against Trump? I mean, there's so many reasons you could pick, but what, what do you think is, is really driving their opposition to President Trump? Is it the NATO making nations uh, pay what they need to contribute to NATO? Is it no. just the general uh, push for nationalism over supernaturalism, as you said? It's the America first doctrine, actually. It's, uh, hey, wait a minute. We always had Americans watching over us. Whatever we do, Americans are going to be there to save our behinds. Well, duh, no. I think you're responsible for saving your own behind. You know, don't blame it on other people. You can ask Americans for help, and they can say yes or no. Maybe you can do that. But in essence, it's always your own first, and then you take care of the ones that are right next to you. But I, I, I'm... I'm I'm a big fan of this leaving supranational uh, stuff. I think that Trump should even, you know, leave the UN because by leaving the UN, he's going to destroy the UN, and I wouldn't mind that at all because we all know that the UN is a completely useless organ. It has become a completely useless organization, or even worse. I mean, it gives refuge to anti-Semites and yeah. all of the uh, ridiculous past about different uh, leaders being in charge of human rights committees and thwarting uh, liberty and democracy, I mean, it's, it's kind of a huge joke. They're one of the worst uh, defenders of Jew hatred 
they're one of the worst defenders of liberty, uh, uh, of not of, of actually not liberty, of, of collectivism, uh, and also defenders of uh, Islamic radicalism. Now, people who know me and they they're, they listen to me, and all of a sudden she says Islamic radicalism. Well, I'm actually referring to the 57 uh, nation. Uh, Islamic states that are under the umbrella of the Organization for Islamic Cooperation, they are the largest voting bloc in the UN. So if we can if we can break up the UN, we can also break up uh, that voting bloc in the UN, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to to sort of get rid of, of the the most blatant anti-Semitism. I mean, just look at you know all the all the resolutions against Israel. It's it's mind-boggling. Well, and you mentioned you lived in Iran. And you lived in Iraq when you were a child, so these are not unfamiliar countries I to you. Actually, I can actually tell you a story. I was in Libya on 9-11. Wow. Yes, I was in Libya, uh, and I remember I was getting ready to fly back to Austria that night. And uh, I describe that, that incident in my book when uh, my Libyan landlord stormed into my apartment without knocking on the door, just stormed in and started screaming, the Jews did it, the Jews did it, I know they were responsible for all of this. And I just, you know, calmly pushed him out and I said, I'm very certain they did not do this, but I would make very sure that your leader didn't do this because all hell will break loose and I'm afraid at that time, I was afraid that the Americans would attack Libya, and I would once again be, uh, you know, stuck in the middle of, you know, in a Forrest Gumpian moment. Uh, that's something I really did not want to be. Uh, you know, it was bad enough being in Libya uh, on 9/11, but uh, you know, I didn't want another to experience another attack by the Americans. Been there, done that. No, thank you. Don't need it. Well, if people want to learn more about your work and your book, is there a place they can go online to learn more? Uh, there's two websites. Uh, one of them is gatestoneinstitute.org. I write uh, for the Gatestone Institute. And uh, also a lot of information about my case, myself. And also, if you want to know more about Europe, uh, by not going to the State Department website, log on to gatesofvienna.net. Thank you so much for your time. Great meeting you, Elizabeth, you. and enjoy the rest of CPAC. Oh, I will. I love being here. The energy is incredible. Thanks for listening to The Gail Trotter Show, right in D.C. Be sure to sign up for her mailing list on her website, gailtrotter.com, and also follow her on Twitter, at Gail Trotter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe now. It's easy. Thanks for listening. Share the truth. Share The Gail Trotter Show.